Chapter fourteen of Riceman's Steps by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. A Man's Private Life. One morning in November, at a little past eight o'clock, Mrs. Arb, watching from behind the door of her yet unopened shop, saw Mr. Earl Forward help Elsie to carry out the empty bookstand and set it down in front of the window and then, with overcoat, muffler and umbrella, depart from Riceman's steps on business. Mrs. Arb immediately unlocked her door, went out just as she was, hatless, coatless, gloveless, wearing a white apron, locked her door and walked across to Mr. Earl forwards. Elsie had already begun to fill the bookstand with books, which overnight had been conveniently piled near the entrance of the shop. "'Good morning, Elsie. Dull morning, isn't it? Is Master up yet?' said Mrs. Arb vivaciously, rubbing her hands in the chilly, murky dawn and brightening the dawn. "'Oh, mum, he's gone out. I don't expect him back till eleven. It's one of his buying mornings, you see.' "'Oh, dear, dear!' Mrs. Arb exclaimed with cheerful resignation. "'And I've only got ten minutes. Well, I haven't really got that.' "'Shop ought to be open now, but I thought I'd let them wait a bit this morning.' She glanced anxiously at her own establishment to see whether any customer had come down the steps from the square, but in truth, as she had now sold the business and the premises and was to give possession in a few weeks, she was not genuinely concerned about the possible loss of profit on an ounce or two ounces of tea.' She wandered with apparent aimlessness into Mr. Earl Forward's shop. "'Did you want to see him particular, ma'am?' "'I won't say so particular as all that. So you look after the shop when Mr. Earl Forward is out, Elsie. "'It's like this, ma'am. All the books is marked inside and some outside. If anybody comes in that looks respectable, I ask them to look round for themselves, and if they take a book they pay me.' and I asked him to write down the name of it on a bit of paper. She pointed to some small memorandum sheets, prepared from old unassorted envelopes, which had been cut open and laid flat, with pencil close by. If it's some regular customer like, that must see Mr. Earl Forward himself, I ask him to write their names down, and if I don't like the look of anybody, I tell him I don't know anything, and out they go. "'What's a good arrangement?' said Mrs. Arb approvingly. "'But if you have to attend to the shop, how can you do the cleaning and so on?' Elsie's ingenuous, kind face showed distress. Her dark blue eyes softened in solicitude. "'Oh, Mum, there you've got me. I can't. I can only clean the shop these mornings, and not much of that neither, because I must keep my hands dry for customers.' Mrs. Arb, vaguely smiling to herself, trotted to and fro in the gloomy shop, which had the air of a crypt, except that in these days crypts are usually lighted by electricity, and the shop was lighted by nature alone on this dark morning. She peered, bending forward, into the dark spaces between the bays, and described the heaps of books on the floor. The dirt and the immense disorder almost frightened her. She had not examined the inside of the shop before, had indeed previously entered it only once, when she was in no condition to observe. Mr. Earlford had never seized an occasion to invite her within. 
"'This will want some putting straight,' she said, "'if ever it is put straight.' Oh, "'Well, you may say it, Mum,' Elsie replied compassionately. "'He's always trying to get straight, especially lately, Mum. "'We did get one room straight upstairs, "'but it meant letting all the others go. "'Between you and me, he'll never get straight. "'But he has hopes, and it's no use saying anything to him.' "'I suppose you can do this room too on his buying mornings,' said Mrs. Arb, peeping into Mr. Earl Forward's private back room, from which the shop and the shop door could be kept under observation. "'Oh, Mum, he wouldn't let me. He won't have anything touched in that room.' "'Then who does it?' "'He does it himself, Mum, when it is done.' "'Does he?' murmured Mrs. Arb in a peculiar tone. The bookshelves went up to the ceiling on every side. The floor was thickly strewn with books, the table also, chairs also. The blind lay crumpled on the brook-covered window-sill. The window was obscured by dirt. The ceiling was a blackish grey. A heavy deposit of black dust covered all things. The dreadful den expressed intolerably to Mrs. Arp the pathos of the existence of a man who is determined to look after himself. It convicted a whole sex of being feckless, foolish, helpless, infantile, absurd. Mrs. Arb and Elsie exchanged glances. Elsie blushed. "'Yes, I'm that ashamed of it, ma'am,' said Elsie. "'But you know what they are.' Mrs. Arb gave two short nods. She moved her hand as if to plumb the layer of dust with one feminine finger, but refrained. She dared not. "'And do you do his cooking too?' she asked. "'Well, Mum, he gets his own breakfast and he makes his own bed. "'It's always done before I come of a morning, and he cleans his own boots. "'I begin his dinner, but seeing as I go at twelve, he finishes it. "'He gets his own tea. "'I must say he isn't what you call a big eater. "'Seems to me it's all very cleverly organised. "'Oh, it is, Mum. "'There's not many gentlemen could manage as he does, "'but it's a dreadful pity.' "'Makes me fair cry sometimes, and him so clean and neat himself, too.' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Arb, agreeing that the contrast between the master and his home was miraculous, awful, and tragic. "'I suppose I'd better not go upstairs, as he isn't here, Elsie.' The two women exchanged more glances. Elsie perfectly comprehended the case of Mrs. Arb, and sympathised with her. Mrs. Arb was being courted. Mrs. Arb had come to no decision. Mrs. Arb desired as much information as possible before coming to a decision. Women had the right to look after themselves against no matter what man. Women were women, and men were men. The arb Earl forward affair was crucial for both parties. "'Oh, I think you might, ma'am, but I can't go with you.' Sex loyalty had triumphed over a too strict interpretation of the duty of the employed to the employer. A conspiracy had been set up. Mrs. Arb had to step over hummocks of books in order to reach the foot of the stairs. The left-hand half of every step of the stairs was stacked with books, cheap editions of novels in paper jackets, under titles such as Just a Girl, 
not like other girls, a girl alone. Weak but righteous and victorious girls crowded the stairs from top to bottom, so that Mrs. Arb could scarcely get up. The landing also was full of girls. The front room on the first floor was, from the evidence of its furniture, a dining room, though not used as such. The massive mahogany table was piled up with books, as also the big sideboard, the mantelpiece, various chairs. The floor was carpeted with books, less dust than in the den below, but still a great deal. The Victorian furniture was good. It was furniture meant to survive revolutions and conflagrations and generations. It was everlasting furniture. It would command respect through any thickness of dust. The back room, with quite as large a number of books as the front room, but even less dust, was a bedroom. The very wide bed had been neatly made. Mrs. Arb turned down the corner of the coverlet, a fairly clean pillow-slip, no sheets, only blankets. She drew open drawers in a great mahogany chest. Two of them were full of blue suits, absolutely new. In another drawer were at least a dozen quite new grey flannel shirts. A wardrobe was stuffed with books. Coming out of the bedroom, she perceived between it and the stairs a long narrow room. Impossible to enter this room because of books. But Mrs. Arb did the impossible, and after some excavation with her foot, disclosed a bath which was full to the brim and overflowing with books. Now Mrs. Arb was pretty well accustomed to baths. She was not aware of the extreme rarity of baths in Clerkenwell, and hence she could not adequately appreciate the heroism of a hero who, possessing such a treasure, had subdued it to the uses of mere business. Nevertheless, her astonishment and amaze were sufficiently noticeable, and she felt, disturbingly and delightfully, the thrill of surprising clandestinely the secrets of a man's intimate personal existence. Then she caught the sound of dropping water. It was on the second floor, in a room shaped like the bathroom, a room with two shelves, a gas ring and a sink. The water was dropping with a queer reverberation onto the sink from a tap above. There were a few plates, cups, saucers, jugs, saucepans, dishes, half a loaf of bread, a slice of cooked bacon. There was no milk, no butter. His kitchen and larder, one gas ring, no fireplace. Mrs. Arb was impressed. The other rooms on the second floor were full of majestic furniture, books and dust. One of them had recently been cleaned and tidied, but dozens of books still lay on the floor. She picked up a book, a large thick volume, for no other reason than that the cover bore a representation of a bird. It was a heavy book with many coloured pictures of birds. She thought it was quite a pretty thing to look at. By accident she noticed the price pencilled inside the front cover. Forty pounds. She was not astonished nor amazed. She was staggered. Mrs. Arb had probably not read ten books since girlhood. To her reading was a refuge from either idleness or life. She was never idle and she loved life. Thus she condescended towards books. 
that any book, least of all a picture book of birds, could be worth forty pounds, had not occurred to her mind. And this one lying on the floor. Instantly, in spite of her common sense, she thought for a brief space of all the books in the establishment as worth forty pounds apiece. Before returning down the book-encumbered stairs, she paused on the top landing. Her throat was coated with the dust which she had displaced in her passage through the house. Her hands were very dirty and very cold. They shone with cold. No fire could have burnt in any of those rooms for years. She dared not touch the handrail of the staircase, even with her fingers all dirty. She paused because she was disconcerted and wanted to arrange the perplexing confusion of her thoughts. The more she reflected, the better she realised how strange and powerful and ruthless a person was Mr. Earl Forward. She admired, comprehended, sympathised, and yet was intimidated. The character of the man was displayed beyond any misunderstanding by the house, with its revelations of his daily life. But there was no clue to it in his appearance and deportment. She was more than intimidated. She was frightened. Withal, the terror, for it amounted to terror, fascinated her. She went down gingerly, hesitating at every step. At the bottom of the lower flight she heard, with new alarm, the bland voice of Mr. Earl Forward himself. He was talking with a customer in his den. "'I'll slip out,' she very faintly whispered to Elsie, who was sweeping near the stairs. Elsie nodded, like a conspirator. But at the same moment Mr. Earl Forward and his customer emerged from the back room, and Mrs. Arb was trapped. "'I didn't notice you come in,' said the bookseller most amiably. "'What can I do for you?' "'Oh, thank you, but I only stepped across to speak to Elsie about something.' The lie, invented on the instant, succeeded perfectly, and Elsie, the honestest soul in Clerkenwell, gave it the support of her silence in the great cause of women against men. "'I'm glad to see you in here,' said Mr. Earl Ford gently, having dismissed the customer. "'It's a bit of luck. I'd gone off for Houndsditch, but I happened to meet someone on the road, and nothing would do but I must come back with him. Come in here.' He drew her by the attraction of his small eyes into the back room. Books had been tipped off one of the chairs onto the floor. She sat down. Surely Mr. Earl Forbes was the most normal being in the world, the mildest, the quietest, the easiest. But the bath, the kitchen, the blankets, the filth, the food, the forty-pound book, and all those new suits and new shirts. She had never even conceived such an inside of a house. She could hardly credit her senses. "'I've wanted to see you in here, in this room.' said Mr. Earl Forward in a warm voice, and then no more. She could not withstand his melting glance. She knew that their intimacy, having developed gradually through weeks, was startlingly on the point of bursting into a new phase. The sense of danger with her, as with nearly all women, was intermittent. The man was in love with her. He was in her hands. What could she not do with him? 
Could she not accomplish marvels? Could she not tame monsters? And she understood his instincts. She shared them. And he was a rock of defence, shelter, safety. The alternative, solitude, celibacy, spinsterishness, eternal self-defence, eternal misgivings about her security. Horrible. I must be opening my shop, she said nervously. And I must be getting away again too, he said, and put on his hat and began to button his overcoat. Nothing more. But at the door, he added, Maybe I'll come across and see you tonight, if it isn't intruding. You'll be very welcome, I'm sure, she answered modestly, smiling. She was no better than a girl, then. She knew she had uttered the deciding word of her fate. She trembled with apprehension and felicity. He was a wonderful man and an enigma. He inspired love and dread. As the day passed, her feeling for him became intense. At closing time, her ecstatic heart was liquid with acquiescence. And she had, too, a bright, adventurous valour, but shot through with forebodings. End of chapter 14 End of part 1